some words of Jesus uh, in verse 37. So John chapter 7, verse 37. says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So from that verse, just want to spend some time looking at what it means to uh, receive the Spirit. On that day, at that feast in Jerusalem, Jesus piped up and in a loud voice grabbed everyone's uh, attention. This is a, a, a national festival, so thousands would have gathered uh, to Jerusalem. One of the three big annual festivals, this was the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Terry and Julie here? Uh, um, a, a big celebration. You can read the whole chapter. To, it's fascinating to see how it, how it took place, how it happened that Jesus was there, the sorts of conversations that were going on during the week, what Jesus was teaching. Here he is on the last and greatest day, and he gives an amazing, wonderful promise. It's going back a few months now that we looked at another one. You remember we looked in, in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, Come to me. All you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Well, here we have Jesus with another wonderful, wonderful promise. A promise of receiving uh, the Spirit. And uh, without repeating everything we looked at on, on, on Wednesday, we were considering then the, uh, the fruit or the hallmarks of, uh, of, of being a people of the Spirit. The sorts of things that took place in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, and it can excite us, sometimes it can, it can daunt us a little bit when we, we look at what the Holy Spirit uh, was doing then and does amongst his, uh, amongst his people. It's possible, though, for it all just to stay things that we believe in theory. In, in theory, we believe that God gives supernatural gifts. In, in theory, uh, we believe that God can do the miraculous and raise the dead. In, in theory, we believe that God can bring about genuine and powerful life change. He can genuinely transform someone. can transform you. can transform your best friend. can transform someone in your, uh, in your family. We say, oh yeah, I believe that. But I kind of believe it in theory. I'm not sure I believe it in, in practice, not believe it in, in reality. I believe that people can um, uh, be released from evil oppression that's on their lives. I believe that in theory, I suppose it's there in the scriptures. But it's just that, it can just be that. Theory, unless we're a people who are, or who have received the Spirit, who are receiving uh, the Spirit. That's why we're looking at these verses today. You might say, well surely... To be a Christian, I believe Jesus, uh, surely that's happened already. I have received the Spirit. Uh, and of course, for us to be believers in Jesus, it has to be that the Spirit of God has begun a good work in us. We've become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been born again by the Spirit. Spirit's at work. Yeah, that has happened. So is there anything else? Why do we need more? Well, 
Let's just consider a few examples uh, for a few moments before we get into this verse in particular, these verses in particular. We could just for a moment consider Jesus. Jesus, who the Gospels tell us uh, in, in Matthew and in Luke, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. A dream came to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What's in her is, is by the Holy Spirit. And in early chapters of Luke, we know that even as a young lad, Jesus was full of wisdom. And he went to the temple as a, as a, as a lad. And he knew who he was. He said, no, oh, I'm in my father's house. You shouldn't have been surprised. I'm with, I'm with my father. I'm in, in the father's house. He knew who he was. He'd been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yet before he starts his ministry, he's baptized by John and the Holy Spirit comes on him. He needed more. The Son of God needed more. And the Holy Spirit came down like a dove just descending on him. He thought, well, yeah, that's Jesus though, isn't it? Jesus, he's a bit of a special case. That's true. Well, what about the apostles then? These 12 disciples whom Jesus had chosen to be with him, obviously Judas left them. Uh, and in the early chapter, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, uh, another man would join them. So the, the 12 apostles, at the end of the Gospels, they are already those who believe in the risen Lord Jesus. They've seen him. They've spent time with him. Jesus has opened their minds to the scripture and given them an incredible commission. Go into all the world, make disciples. So they, they've, they've met with and they have believed in the risen Lord Jesus. So how come they should need more? But Jesus said to them, wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait to be clothed with power from on high. And so there's 120 of them gathered in a room praying. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them in Acts chapter 2. They needed more. They might say, well, the apostles, they're a pretty special case as well. well. They are quite special. Well, there were some new believers. What about Acts chapter 8? Philip has gone to Samaria. And, uh, and he's preached about Jesus and men and women in Samaria have believed. They've become believers in the risen Lord Jesus. They accepted Philip's message about Jesus. And did they need more? Well, you know that actually rather than Philip, the apostles make a special journey from Jerusalem to Samaria to go and pray for them, to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they clearly needed more. Then we might consider the Gentiles that Peter met with in Cornelius' house, who lived in Judea. And this amazing encounter there, where, where God speaks to Peter a number of times through a dream. Uh, Peter travels to them, um, and he shares the gospel with this group of Gentiles. And, he, and it says that they received the Spirit, or the Spirit came on them even while they were listening. Well, that's a bit different then, isn't it? It happened seemingly absolutely all at once. They got baptized a bit, a bit later. But Peter says of them, look, they've received the Spirit just as we have. Which is interesting. And then the example that we spent some time looking at on Wednesday, um, Wednesday evening, the dis, dis, a, a group of apparent disciples in Ephesus. Twelve men. Well, actually, they weren't disciples at the point that Paul met them, but they then receive 
the message about Jesus. They believed and they were baptized. And then it says that Paul placed his hands on them that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they start to speak in tongues and prophesy. So they clearly needed uh, more as well. So what about us in Sheffield? Notice what's happened to Jesus. What happened in Jerusalem? What happened in Judea? What happened in Samaria? And by virtue of what happened in Ephesus, what happened at the ends of the world? The same pattern unfolding of people believing and receiving the Holy Spirit. So what about us then in in Sheffield? Many of us, believers in Jesus, born again. We know our identity in Christ. We know who our Heavenly Father is. We've believed in Jesus, open to the Scripture, group of people, uh, united, sometimes praying together, aware of this great commission that God has given to us to be on mission, making more disciples. Ever feel daunted? Ever feel a bit weak? Ever, ever feel unable? You think of those 120 believers in Jesus just gathered in the upper room waiting, praying and waiting. Jesus has ascended to heaven and they've been given this amazing going to all the earth. He's got 120 people. That's a small group in a city, let alone in the whole world. You think, I wonder how they were praying. Oh, God. Oh, God, we need you. You promised us the Holy Spirit. You, you said we would receive power. Oh, God, we're just aware of our weakness and our need. But your promise is great. Would you, would you come? And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus' promise here in John chapter 7 is that streams of living water flow from within. Streams of living water. It says in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 7 about uh, the Lamb with, with all of God's people. It says, the Lamb will lead them to springs of living water. That's our eternal destiny, to be with Jesus, always drinking from the, the springs of living water. So right now, by the Spirit, it's talking about, well, a taste of heaven, a taste of the life to come. So that's what we're going to be praying for uh, today in a few minutes. We're going to, we're going to worship again. We're going to re- pray for, for people to receive the Spirit. We're going to pray for streams of living water to, to bubble up, the life of God uh, in the innermost being of the believer. A wonderful promise. And before we do that, we just need to look at three conditions. It's an amazing promise. It has three, well, as far as I can see, it has three conditions. Three grounds on which to come with expectation uh, to pray to receive. The first condition is thirst. If anyone is thirsty, this uh, big feast, this big festival, was recalling a time when the nation was thirsty. God had rescued them from Egypt. They'd come through, but they're in a bit of a wilderness. God's leading them miraculously and wonderfully, but they're literally thirsty. They don't have anything to drink. They're in a desert. The people start to grumble. The people start to complain. Moses is like, Lord, what am I going to do with these people? And the Lord says, go, take your staff, In front of all the people, strike that rock and water will come gushing out. That will provide something to drink. So they were remembering a day in their history 
when they were incredibly thirsty. You've rescued us, Lord. You've brought us out of slavery, but we are thirsty. And it was also a feast and a celebration where God's people were looking forward to God pouring out the Spirit in the last days, which he'd promised in so many different places in the Scripture. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, thirsty? Well, thirsty for what? might be, you're thirsty for God. Can't put it in any other way. Like Psalm 42. As the deer pants for water, so, so my soul longs, it yearns for you. My soul thirsts for God. Just thirsty for more of him. Might be thirsty in a different way. You remember Jesus in Samaria went and sat down by a well. He was thirsty. So when a when lady came along, he, he asked her for a drink. He then offered her living water. They have a fascinating conversation. What do you think she, if you know the story, if you know the conversation, what do you think that lady was thirsty for? At one point, Jesus says, go, go and get your husband. She says, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five, and the man that you're now with uh, is not your husband. Now, she changes the subject fairly quickly at that point. But what, what do you think she was thirsty for? What thirst was it that Jesus was going to satisfy in her? We don't know the precise details of how come she'd been married five times and, and, and why was it she was with someone that she wasn't married to here and now, but she's thirsting for something, maybe thirsting for some security in life. Maybe thirsting for that sense of, of belonging and safety. She was looking elsewhere for it. And Jesus was saying, no, you, you can come to God for it. You can come to me for it. So, so thirsty for what? It says in Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and from verse, reading from verse uh, 15, you, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. That sense of, I know where I belong. I know who my father is. Now, if we're uh, children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So thirsty, thirsty for God, thirsty for relationship with him, thirsty, knowing that sense of belonging, perhaps thirsty for power. Those disciples were waiting, they'd received this promise, you will receive power. Oh God, we need you. There's just 120 of us and you've given this mission to the whole world. We, we need something. We need you. Thirsty for power. That can sound a bit dramatic. Like You kind of edge away from power-hungry people, don't you? But no, we, we, wanna, we want to do what you've called us to do, Lord. And therefore, we're thirsty for your power, strengthening us, energizing us, enabling us, and leading us into it. Do what you will. We need your power, Lord. Might be thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. Maybe you're just thirsty for a, for a breakthrough personally in life. Thirsty to break that ungodly habit. Thirsty for him. Thirsty just because you feel compromised. You feel, well, I, I do believe. I, I do want to follow God. 
I, I find myself so easily just dragged into different priorities, bad habits or whatever. Now, if it says, if anyone is thirsty, that means, well, we're not just curious. It's not if anyone is curious. If anyone is mildly interested, it's, no, it's not just, well, I'm, I'm willing for God to bless me. It's I'm dependent on God blessing me. I need him to come through. So it's not just being curious. It's a desperate longing on the inside for more of God. If it isn't thirst, let's not pretend. It would be better to conclude today by saying, let's take this week, just in the word of God and in prayer. Lord, why am I not thirsty? What's stopping me experiencing perhaps the thirst that I should do in order to come to you? So let's not get into pretense. If anyone is thirsty... If anyone is desperate, if anyone really knows their need of God, otherwise let's, let's take some time to consider it. Receiving the Spirit is not about God entertaining bored Christians. It's about God satisfying the thirsty. Is anyone thirsty? Second condition, Jesus says, come to me and drink. So we've got to come to him. It's fascinating to see what the Bible promises Jesus fulfills and delivers. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And there's many other passages we could look at as well. This, this promise of, of, of water and of refreshing. And then note what Jesus says. Come to me. What the Bible promises is delivered in Jesus. We, therefore, we stop looking anywhere else for answers and fulfillment and we turn to God. That very first time of turning is, is repentance. I'm, I'm turning away from what I have relied on, how I have coped with life. I've, I've, I've turned away from things I've made an idol out of and I've worshipped. My life is all about this well, all about what? It could be, it's all about this relationship. Or it could be all about this substance that I use. That's how I get through life. It's all about this activity. My life is all about. Or it could be all about this bad habit or that's enslaving me. But uh, they're all saying, no, tur turn away and turn to God. There's a, there's a challenge in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. And verse 13, Jeremiah speaks there to the people. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I'm thirsty. I'm looking for water. I'm, I'm trying to dig my own way. I'm trying to find my own resource. I'm trying to cope somehow. There's a thirst that's identified, but it might be that we're not coming to Jesus. It might be that we're coming to something else or someone else in the hope that that will fulfill, whether that is a relationship, a substance, an activity, some other habit that's, that's godly or just un ungodly or just distracting. But we're looking somewhere else for ultimate distraction. We're told here, no, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me and drink. That's where you'll find living water. And so we come, and that might involve repenting 
I'm coming to you, Jesus, recognizing I shouldn't have gone over here. I've been wasting my time. I've been drinking from a muddy pool. Come to me. Streams of living water might flow, but we settle for a muddy pool. We settle for some stagnant pond. Maybe it did have life in it once upon a time, but you look at it now and it's a stink. There's no, there's no life. There's no flow. There's nothing bubbling up. There's nothing swimming in there. It's dead. And we maybe try and dig just a little bit more, hoping that it might just collect a bit of rain or something. No, it's, dead. It's, not, it's not giving life. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and... Am I turn away, therefore? Repent and come to me. Come to me and ask. Again, there was a point last year we spent a bit of time looking at Luke chapter 11. This, again, this amazing promise and invitation. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And sometimes the way we might ask is... Well, we actually never make the request. We just tell God how thirsty we are. We, we tell God about the problems. We tell God about the needs. But that's as far as we go. And it says, come to me. And if we take Luke 11 as well, come to me and ask. Make it specific. Don't just tell God how much you're struggling. Don't just tell God that you long for more power. Don't explain, don't just explain to God how comes you've got so thirsty. Come and ask. I'm coming to you, Lord Jesus, and I'm asking. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for these streams of living water. I'm asking for power, for godly purposes. I'm asking for a breakthrough in righteousness. I'm asking just for more of you, God. That we come, we come to him and we ask. And the third condition, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, in verse 38, as the scripture has said. So we come thirsty, we come to Jesus and ask, and we come believing, believing in him, believing in the one who died in our place, who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. We believe that God... We, we come believing that here's the one that God raised from the dead, brought out of the tomb. The one who has ascended to heaven and is sat at the right hand of the Father, believing that he is the one who sent the Holy Spirit with the Father, sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. This, another counselor will come, Jesus said. He said, it's better that I go. Because another counsellor is coming. The Holy Spirit is, is coming. We're in now the age of the Spirit. And we come, therefore, to Jesus, not just thirsty, but believing. Faith is involved, and faith has to be real. In other words, sometimes the way in which we ask can be, oh God, we might be thinking to ourselves, I'll just see. I'll see if. 
God wants to bless. I'll see if God will do anything. You see how it might be coming, but it's not coming with faith, it's just coming with doubt. And, and then we are trying to judge what God has or hasn't done, and if then we reach a conclusion that we don't feel something so dramatic, we go away saying, oh, God didn't come through for me. Maybe God doesn't love me, because it says there that he's a good heavenly father who gives good gifts. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I've not asked, oh, so maybe I'm not in. If we come with doubts, it can cause all sorts of mayhem. So we're not asking based on doubts. When, when that happens, all that happens is we just get really self-conscious. What am I feeling? What's going on? It's just it's built on doubt. No, we come, we come believing. We don't come believe, focused on our feelings or our physical sensations. We don't come focused on that. We come focused on him. The Holy Spirit wants to draw our attention to Jesus and to worship him and to know God better. So then when we ask... We ask because we know he will do something. Just going back to Luke chapter 11. That's what Jesus said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He doesn't say ask and you might. That's not where the if lies. The if is if anyone's thirsty. Don't attach the if to God's part. No, God's faithful to his word. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We know how to give good gifts. How much more does the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we come with faith. We come with expectation to receive. We come knowing this is a promise that applies for everyone who believes. So I'm going to say in a few moments when we do have this time of response, uh, praying to receive the Spirit, if you're not persuaded yet, if you're not fully convinced yet, don't respond today. Maybe the response looks a bit different. Maybe the response is reading the word. Maybe the response is having conversation. Maybe the response is praying to the Lord. Because we, are, we ask at the, point, at the point of faith. If we're not persuaded, if we're not convinced, if we're just coming forward saying, oh God, if you want to, if, if God wants to, let's not ask in that way today at all. So then, with those three conditions in mind, what's going to happen? You might be wondering, If someone prays for me today, if I pray for myself, if someone else prays and lays their hands, what's going to happen? Well, with those first three conditions in, with those three conditions in mind, you're going to receive. Oh, yeah, but that's not quite what I meant. Literally, physically, what, what is actually going to happen? Now, you can see, therefore, we're really... Anxiety is second nature for all of us. Worry can come very easily. What's going to happen? I want to know. Well, you're going to receive. That's what's going to happen. But you might wonder, well, what, what am I going to do as a result? Is it, am I going to, is it going to be spectacular? I just feel like the spotlight's come on me. 
Am I, am I not going to feel anything at all? In which case, yeah, we can just get ourselves under pressure. Pressure to perform. Pressure to try to feel, fulfill someone else's expectations. This person is praying for me. I better do what they think I should do by virtue of receiving the Spirit. Can you just see? We need to avoid all that pressure that comes from anxiety, that self-consciousness. What are you going to receive? Well, the promise is streams of living water will flow from within. Picture for a moment, just to use a different analogy, picture a volcano. Have you got one in mind? Visualize what it looks like. And it's about to uh, erupt and, uh, and there'll be a flow. I know Jesus didn't use this particular metaphor. Just roll with me for a moment. Um, now, my guess is that most, most people here in the room right now, as I've just said that about a volcano, could have in mind the sort of volcano that looks like a massive mountain. And when it erupts, it's sudden and almost like a third of the mountain explodes into the air. This huge ash cloud covers a whole continent, if you like, and starts getting blown around. Absolutely massive. Uh, and then it will, uh, a lot of that ash will, and love, it will come down and it will start to flow. And it will massively change the landscape. This very explosive eruption. Now, my favorite subject at school was geography. And um, it's what brought me to Sheffield, actually. And this is why my wife says I'm very good at coloring in. I just do <laughs> keep everything within the lines. Did you know there are lots of different types of volcano? Some do erupt in that way. Bang! Loads of that. It's very, very visible. It's very, very sudden. It's very, very loud. Boom! And then there's this flow. You might think, well, it's like volcanoes are destructive, aren't they? But if you just bear with me for a moment, actually the, the land, the soil around a volcano can be incredibly uh, fertile. Life springs up. Anyway, back to volcanoes. There are other types of volcano. And maybe you have one of these in mind. There's no great mountain shape, but there is this kind of molten lava rock that's bubbling up and it's just flowing down over the landscape. Still a volcano, still erupting, and there's a flow. just looks really different. And it can be like that in receiving the Holy Spirit. Chatting to a few people this week in, uh, in a staff meeting, and also just me and Rach having a chat. Uh, what was it like for you when you received the Spirit? I asked the question. And, and both, actually, this is the case for Richard and also for, for Rachel. I think, well, I, I heard a message. I was persuaded. I prayed and someone else prayed for me in faith. And there were no great fireworks. There was no almighty explosion of the Spirit. But I knew that I'd received. It was quite a matter-of-fact moment, in other words. But faith was involved. Didn't go away with doubts. I know I've received. And then the flow emerges. Not necessarily all in one go. Not necessarily straight away, not necessarily in a really explosive way, but there's this flow of life. Might be a, 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 there's a new flow in worship. 
It might be a new flow of, uh, of spiritual gifting. It might be that the, the gift of tongues does start to flow. Maybe today or maybe another time. There's a new flow in terms of sharing faith. I remember Ben just saying one of the impacts for him of receiving the Spirit was, oh, I don't actually mind now that people know that I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't mind sharing my faith. I don't mind talking about Jesus. I used to get so... These aren't directly Ben's words. But there can be others in that situation. I used to be kind of so kind of locked in, if you like. I was so tentative. I was, I was so cautious. I was so nervous. I was so ashamed, possibly. Well, I've received the Spirit. There's this new flow of power to witness by receiving the Spirit. So bear that in mind as you're responding, if you are responding, and being, being prayed for. Expect this flow. A flow in worship, maybe a flow of hearing God. Might be dreams or visions, could be gifts. Could be this, this flow of witnessing. A new ease or joy in sharing our faith. There may be a flow in practical holiness. It doesn't mean that we're no longer, we're suddenly immune from temptation. But somehow, sin's just lost its appeal. Why? Because there's just a new delight in God. Because we've received the Spirit. So if the band would like to come up, we're going to worship God for, uh, in just a moment. And we're all going to stand and sing something uh, in a minute. And... If you're thirsty, if you want to come to Jesus, which might involve turning away from some other stuff, might involve repenting, therefore, and if you believe, you know your Heavenly Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit and give you good gifts. And I might just add one other thing. <laughs> and if you've not received in that way before, as we stand and worship, I just invite you, slip out from your row, come and stand here, just get involved in worshipping God. And I'm going to encourage you to pray a bit, and then some others might pray, uh, pray for you as well, in faith to receive.